0: Hey everyone, this is Facetown, and you're listening to What Happens to Chit2. My guest this week is Mike D'Ercoyle, an assistant professor of music and computer science, as well as the director of music technology and composition at Albright College. He also wrote the book Push, Software Design and the Cultural Politics of Music Production, published and released in January of 2022. I first met Mike while performing on the same bill at a show in LA under his chiptune group, The Attic Bits, and i followed his work ever since. Mike brings a compelling and academic perspective to chiptune, weaving together conceptions of performance and production with his extensive background in music technology. I was really excited to talk to Mike for a broader perspective on chiptune, and I hope you find this episode as enlightening as I did. I am really happy to to have you here. Um, I feel like one of the one of the perspectives that is kind of often lacking in a lot of um, chiptune discourse and a lot of you know uh, thinking about what the definitions of chiptune is and what it means in a cultural context is an academic perspective. Um, some someone who has like a broader perspective than literally just kind of like. The scene and its growth, and you know the practices within it, um, and and you know I, I feel like as I have thought about you know what Chiptune is and and what we could have done to grow it and why it it, it kind of went away, um, you know I, comparing it to the the histories of other scenes and the histories of other genres and things like that has always been super valuable to me. Um, so I very much appreciate the the ability of like other you know and and especially academics like kind of like in the ethno uh musicology or uh you know a lot of like music studies and and things like that the ability to draw these um parallels between various scenes and and like what precipitated uh their growth and decay um or if they ever decayed right um so that's why, <laughs> that's why I want, really wanted to talk to you, um, and this is why I'm like, really excited to, to actually get this conversation going. But, um, but yeah, but before we kind of get into the more theoretical stuff, I, I do want to ask about your history with music and, and, and your history with Chiptune, because I, I know you from literally a single show that we played <laughs> in LA, at like, UCLA one time. And then I've just been following your work ever since because everything that you've been do- doing since then has been really interesting to me. Um, but I don't actually know what your like history is with music or
1: chiptune or anything. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, if you can speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say a, a, something that has defined my path through music has been this balance of kind of academic slash traditional approaches to understanding or performing music with vernacular you know, music that people were making in the real world. Um, And so, you know, I I got my start in a very traditional, you know, I was a drummer, percussionist through my K-12 music education. Um, And that's what I wanted to kind of go into as a career was music education at first. Um, But but my whole path, even as a kid, kind of through music, I always had, in addition to the music I was making at school, was like hip-hop music, right? I'm making beats working with local rappers, going to, like, you know, my um, friend's older brother's, like, hip-hop shows and stuff, you know. But that was something that was, of course, never part of the academic, my academic and school-based experience with music. And even up until when I went to college, I, um, uh, you know, I was a music ed major in my undergrad degree. And so I was pursuing this very kind of, I, I keep saying, traditional approach to music and understanding how it works. Um, but all the while, I was really interested in other stuff that was happening. So even in college, like, while I was engaging my studies and I was in the practice room for 10 hours a day, I was also, you know, still making hip hop music and also getting really into noise and experimental music. So I'd go to Boston um, for shows and play drums with like industrial and EBM and ED- EDM artists in Bo- in the Boston area. Um, when I finished that, when I finished my undergrad, I, I started a master's at Tufts in Boston. Um, and so it was a p- period of time where I had kind of like a lot of free time in a lot of ways. Um, I was in seminar a few days a week and writing papers and stuff like that. But I also had re- a relative amount of free time. And that's when um, uh, my friend and I, ArcBit, <clears throat> we kind of kind of um, formed a duo. Uh, and at first it was kind of just like experimental electronic music right like we just kind of went in his attic and played with all different sort of electronics synthesizers samplers um things like that but then we had learned about these tools like chiptune tools um like i think midi nest was the first tool that we were like wow that's a really cool thing that you can you know use a midi output of any synthesizer or drum machine and control the sound chip of an, an nes and so we started that was the first tool i think we got <clears throat> we started to make music with that, like sequencing, you know, with my MPC that I had used for hip hop uh, and sequencing, it, sequencing things through the ness And then from there, of course, we learned about uh, things like little sound DJ um, and both of us being gamers, you know, that kind of, that became real, the real catalyst for, for fully engaging with chip tune. Um, but being that this was sort of something that I was doing while I was writing my master's thesis, I had always kind of approached the scene from a very academic perspective in the sense that I was really interested in these concepts or ideas that went beyond just the chiptune scene. For example, I was, re- I think what drew me to the scene was this idea of liveness and how do you convey to an audience in the age of digital in the age of electronics and digital software, how do you convey to an audience what you're doing? Right. And this was of course, interesting to me as a DJ in hip hop, like how do you convey in this world of, vinyl records that hip hop was so steeped in how do you convey to an audience that you're actually performing right and i think chiptune artists were concerned with that question as well um so so concepts like liveness and concepts of like how we interact with technology um how um you know how our experiences of past technologies inform our musical practices, so this connection, like the the embodied connection between our gaming practices and our music practices. All of these big picture questions were being asked by chiptune artists. And I think that's what really drew me into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I had actually a really similar um, history with music as well, where I, I was like classically trained in piano for since I was five, basically, up until college. And, you know, I always had the same dynamic of like, I am doing my repertoire for the year. I'm doing, like, my four pieces plus a study and whatever um, and focusing really hard on that. But I also have all of this other music that I'm listening to that's super interesting to me that I feel like I almost have no vocabulary with which to describe um, from the classical music world, right? It, it feels kind of beside the point to apply, like, oh, this... this part of the song ends in an authentic cadence when like it, you know, it just sounds so different from anything that you're you're working on. So I, I definitely had that kind of like, that that desire to reconcile it. But for me, when I went to, to college, my undergrad, I just went straight into like trying to do game design. So I kind of like dropped that. And then when I came back into making music, it was like, it was a big hill for me because I was, I hadn't really composed music before. Right. So I didn't have that experience with like working with other people. Um, and all of this is to get at like this. I, I think that what makes your work so interesting is this kind of like ability to take a step back and, you know, and, and look at the scene from a, a broader point of view. And, you know, maybe it requires that <laughs> not requires, but maybe that background kind of shapes that approach, right. Where you have, one side which is the really traditional quote-unquote classical like you know training side and then the other side which is this very um uh, ethnographic um you know embodied thing that you're trying to get into right and so the different approaches to what is ultimately music is is something that um kind of arises from there um and you know like that it was something that i was also interested in as i was like working in, you know, I, 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 there was no game design degree at UC San Diego, but there, I was in the human computer interaction program. So there was a lot of like embodied cognition stuff and how do like physical interfaces like affect the way that people use tools and stuff like that. So it was always like this, um, it w- it was always this kind of like, this this ball of everything means <laughs> everything is connected somehow and it uh, you know i just need to like figure out how to disentangle all that stuff um but yeah so it, it seems like you've always kind of had this like academic like lens through through which to um to look at the scene um and something that also struck me as interesting when when it comes to you and chiptune is that you you were already approaching it from like a a kind of like a mixed media thing, right? Where a lot of chiptune music and a lot of chiptune discourse at the time was like, we got to use Game Boys, right? Or we got to use the hardware. Um, and then using other things to control the hardware is possible, but it's not like, it, it kind of like muddles that purity, right? So it's interesting that you were already like interested in using M- like NPCs and, and you know other things to control um to control the uh the, the the devices themselves um did did that kind of like factor into your approach when it came to like studying the scene cuz uh you know you're coming into it and everyone already has their like definitions of what the scene is
1: yeah totally it it like i mentioned that my at the time you know in undergrad because i was in a sort of like uh, um traditional music education curriculum, I remember one of the really inspiring things that kind of brought me into musicology was learning about the experimental music tradition, right, with John Cage and, um, you know, through through that whole that whole tradition, right? And that's kind of what got me into the noise music scene in Boston, is that I had a friend Deathly Demo- Demolition who um, was putting on noise nights and industrial nights in the Boston area, and that really aligned with kind of my expanding musical interest at the time, um, so I would say like the two the two real gen- genre or idiomatic um, styles that that I I was kind of using chip tune for were hip hop and and experimental noise music, and so when especially when ArcBit and I when we fir- formed the Attic Bits, we had no, we knew we didn't know anyone else in the scene at that when we first started right and we just all we knew is that there were these like online these websites where we could buy all this cool gear. You know, that people were making and people were modifying DMGs and people were modifying, you know, these cartridges so that you could use them to make music. We had no idea about like the generic conventions of chiptune at the time. So when we first started playing shows, we were we were really playing shows at like noise events um, just with the Game Boys. And we just liked it that the sound had this sort of grit and this noise to it that was different from the sort of, um, you know, cookie cutter digital software sample packs and plugins that were happening at the time. So it was really like, in the same way that probably a lot of chiptune artists used it, it was a a move of alterity for us to be like, using these tools was a way for us to distinguish our brand of uh, experimental and electronic music. But we definitely weren't doing the kind of EDM style uh, chiptune that we then learned later was kind of like the standard, right? Um, It wasn't until we kind of linked up with... Um, you know James, uh, James and Lydia from Bright P- Primate that we kind of really got a sense of what the scene was, and they really they really brought us into that scene. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's interesting because a
0: lot of my interviews up to now have been with members of the of the New York scene, right? Where it's this, it, it's almost like it it feels like talking about the history of techno, right? Where you have like Kevin Saunderson and Juan Atkins, you know, like you have like the big heads in the scene that like created this thing um and it feels very similar to how the new york scene is where you have like bit shifter and glow mag and Null sleep and you know and, and like these like f- bubbly fish and you have like five people in there that like kind of set the foundations um for what chiptune was and then they kind of provided this like north star of things to shoot for so when and and they they uh you know speaking to like glow mag and stuff when they were talking about how they were starting off, they ne- they didn't have that, so it felt very like free form and very like like the way that you you initially approached getting into the scene and and, and interacting with it. Um, but then I feel like as someone whose first exposure to the scene was like reformat the planet, the documentary, and then like these chip shows and these artists, like I was following much more of like a set pattern to like interact with them, whereas, like, having a much more, like, uh, mixed media or mixed style seems to have, like, given you the ability to actually, like, think about this stuff outside of the context of just, like, what is chiptune and and things like that. Um, I, I, I want to kind of talk about, uh, your interest in, in liveness and how it relates to chiptune. Um, it's something that has always kind of been, I the, the, I I haven't heard the word put I I haven't heard like the word put to that that feeling so us uh, so, uh, until you know relatively recently but it has always been something that um has been interesting to me in the sense of like I you know as a chiptune musician and then as an electronic musician uh, and you know everyone is always navigating these like how do you tell an audience that you're doing something and and this idea of like a performance in front of them like Who's the performer? Who is being performed to? What's the space that defines that? So, um, I'm, I'm curious about like if there's anything within Chiptune that struck you as like particularly interesting when it came to this question.
1: Yeah, yeah just as a general background, this um, I guess the term we could is an academic term came from Philip Oslander, who's a media theorist. He wrote a book about this. He made this argument where he was saying, you know, it used to be the case in rock music that the live show was what you wanted to capture in a recording, right? Like the recording was supposed to capture a lot, that feeling of the live experience. But now we're at the point where now the live show is meant to capture the recording, right? And he and, he, and so he argues that that's a really interesting moment, um, is that how we have to kind of recreate liveness because most of our experiences with music and pop and media is mediated, right? And it's, it's really actually like when we encounter forms of media that aren't mediated, it actually isn't what we want. right? Like if you hear a voice that's not auto-tuned, maybe it's not what you want or something. You know? um, <clears throat> so anyway, I, that was one, one, one early example that kind of interested me. And then um, Mark Butler, uh, an electronic dance music scholar and music theorist, put out a book later called Playing With Something That Runs that's specifically about how this plays out in electronic dance music um how liveness is 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 sort of perceived by DJs and how it's performed by DJs. Uh for me specifically, um I, I wrote a chapter in my book about it and I really tried to link it up because this is where I really saw it in Chiptune was linking up um the re- the relationships between hip hop and video games. And not just like chiptune, but like when you're playing a video game. Um there's this really interesting idea. I, I'm sorry, forgetting the exact citation of who who said it, but um I think uh, Bart Simon, I'll have to find the citation, but, um, but he came up with this idea of gestural excess, uh, and he's writing about it in the context of playing games. You know, you play Mart, you're playing a racing game and you are contorting your body as if you are in the car and you are moving the car and you are the car. Right. Um, and, and just like these gestural, the gestural excess that we do when we're playing video games, we're mashing buttons and we're putting our whole physical body into it. Um, And that's a way for us to kind of immerse ourselves in the avatar or in the virtual world that we're engaging with. And I I kind of applied that to live performance of electronic music because I thought it was very similar. Um, this is something that Mark Butler talks about. Like this, you know, in, in DJs, right? You're, they're standing behind the decks, and then, like, when the bass drops, they lift their arm way up into the air and they put their whole body into, like, you know, <laughs> dropping the bass in, right? There was that whole skit in SNL where the Andy Samberg kind of satirizes it, and the audience's head liter- literally explodes. And, um, so, gestural access is something that gamers do, but it's also something electronic music- musicians do as a way to kind of abstract. The interface that they're engaging with and to externalize that for the audience i think a, a very clear example of this would be daedalus um you know daedalus the electronic musician who uses the mono the monomy controller where he literally arcs it outward to the audience so the audience can see what he's doing right same thing with some chiptune artists who have a, like a document reader above the game boy as they're performing yeah. so you can see what they're doing right
0: Mm-hmm. And and yeah, um, like you know, it, it seems like yeah, I I re- I think Dataless almost like took because his thing was controllerism, right? Like that that was his like main area of focus when it came to performance. And it's almost emulating. I, I feel like I've seen it before. A lot of like uh, a lot of like the the turntableists, like kind of the DMC era turntablists would like would literally arc the turntable and like the turntables and the mixer out so that you know you could see them. Uh, you know, doing all the scratching and stuff
1: like that or, or something like that. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. And But nowadays, I mean, now it's kind of um, the question always is behind all of this. And it would apply to um, this. This is where we get to this. Re- another really interesting thing as far as the community and the audience of the music, right, is that within electronic dance music and hip hop, you have like the heads, right? The beat heads who go to a show and they want to see what the DJ is doing because they are also DJs or they're, they want to be DJs, right? With chiptune, you have people who at the the shows who are chiptune artists or they're very interested in what's happening on stage. But as these scenes kind of grow, you get the audience members who don't care about any of that and they just want to go dance or they just want to drink or they want to just hang out. And then so does the question always is like then what does it matter that the, um, you know, what the DJ is doing altogether or what the... Uh, producer the chiptune artist is doing i just i just think that's such an interesting thing that happens this sort of split in terms of a scene is once it starts to grow in popularity the particularities of the individual performers and producers become less relevant you know it becomes these empty signifiers in some ways
0: um what was your experience i mean so you 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 have I, i remember you played you know some shows as the attic bits in um la and so when you were playing those and, and kind of, um, like, was that something that happened over a, a long period of time, like the, these performances that you put on?
1: Yeah, I mean, we started that in, in while well, we were, uh, Arcbit and I were both living in New Hampshire um, yeah. while I was doing my master's degree, and um, that's when we formed. And, and I mentioned that when we started, it was, like, very much this experimental outfit, and I think our first show with Boston 8-Bit was, like, We had a DJ mixer with like, um, two, we had two synthesizers. We had a MIDI nest set up. We had the MPC like sequencing the MIDI nest. I think we also maybe had a DMG and we were actually improvising the whole set. And that's something that I think, um, that just, the, the whole setup evolved over time until it finally got to the point where our setup was basically two Game Boys, um, that were being controlled by ArcBit And then me playing electronic drum kit that was running through a bit crush. See, that's what I remember. Cause I, I was like, am I like, like, do I, am I remembering it wrong?
0: Cause I remember there being a drum set when, <laughs> when, when I saw you guys yeah. play. So yeah,
1: well that was the, and that's what that, that, that was sort of like, well, I guess we could say our most refined setup after learning that like so many of our audiences didn't know what we were doing. Right, because we were sitting up there with Game Boys and all this stuff, and they they thought a lot of people thought that we were just you know playing video games on stage and somehow like syncing up the music of two different Game Boys, you know, so that the music played together. But it, they didn't realize it was original music that we had sequenced, and so the addition of the drum set running through a Bit Crusher kind of added this sense of well, if they didn't know what we were doing, at least they saw something happening that they could equate to like quote unquote music, right? Um and it was also just fun me you know it was fun as, as a drummer to kind of perform in that way.
0: What was the response like um and and did you notice that there was that kind of like growing disconnect between like the the heads and you know people who were just kind of strolling in and seeing this this big thing happen.
1: Well I think because we we were kind of separate from any sort of scene for a long part of it like there was no New Hampshire chip scene you know. We we um we played some shows with Boston 8 bit um, but a lot of our shows that we played were like, we performed at like local libraries in New Hampshire, we performed at dive bars, we performed at like Comic Con, you know, uh, New Hampshire Comic Con, uh, and like sort of like, you know, Sci Fi Festival, like all, wherever we could perform just to get our music out there. Um, and for most audiences, they didn't, they also didn't really know anything about the chiptune scene. They were just kind of, it was a it was sort of novel thing for them to see that. So we were kind of like, Exposing people to this thing that that didn't have a community surrounding it. But then when we played shows with like the you know, with with Boston Ape and um people like Doom Cloud and like all of Carl uh, Carl's different acts and stuff like that, that was when we were like, Oh yeah, there's actually a community that we can learn from and that we could interact with and like share ideas about how this stuff is performed. And that was sort of pretty eye opening too. You yeah. Know? I mean,
0: on a subjective, uh, like it, from a su- subjective perspective, did you like enjoy playing for kind of like newcomers or did you like, or uh, and how did that compare with like playing for people who like knew what you were doing? Was that like different at all?
1: Yeah, I, I think mostly it was um, the idea of a musical scene, right? It's just, th- that was the big difference. It was sort of, um, our purpose was very different. You know, when we were playing in all these random places in New Hampshire, it was sort of like we were exposing people and teaching them about uh, these things, right? right? And telling them how here's how the sound chip of an uh, old Game Boy works, and here's how MIDI works, and 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 that 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 was certainly fun and enjoyable in itself. Um, but being part of the scene, like when we played shows with Boston 8-Bit, um with with larger audiences, for example. It was just, yeah, it was, it was probably, like, more fun as a musician to play those types of shows. But as an educator, I certainly appreciated exposing people, you know, to these things, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah, I, I kind of feel like that, that mirrors my experience as well, right? Where th- there's only so many shows that, like, you know, I could play to, like, a bar full of, like, four people who don't really know <laughs> what's going on. That, like, I, I can... Th- there's only so many of those shows I can play before it's, like, I feel like we need kind of like a strength in numbers kind of thing. If we like kind of put it together as like a big gathering of all of these people and invite all of our friends and, and kind of like put it out as like a statement of like, here we are and this is what Shiptune is. And you're going to get a lot of it all at once. Um, It feels uh, that, that, that idea of having a scene and a community to fall back on can be very, um, can be very romantic and it can be very like, compelling and and that's that's mostly why i kept like going with it was because um you know i was we we were doing a lot of shows in the area but it was it felt like something bigger than just like my individual output right it was i was like playing these shows and doing all of this for like this health of the scene and and things like that and kind of like building out this this infrastructure of a scene that we could like you know Continue to hang our hat on and draw on when we wanted to do other shows, and and w- so uh, like w- was that something that was like really present in at at Boston in Boston as well?
1: Yeah, and I think it's it's the sort of double edged sort of it is that yes, we all want to like our ideal situation is that the music we love, a lot of people are going to love it, right, and that there will be a a scene, right, um, but scenes can also be limiting, and scenes can all you know they can be homogenizing in various ways. Right. Um, So I think there was, there was certainly like the, the, what we were doing in New Hampshire with like the kind of mixed media stuff. It's like, we, there was a certain scene, but it wasn't chiptune. It was like, you know, gamers, table, like tabletop gamers, animators that were interested in like the aesthetic of what we were doing. We collaborated with those people like various media makers that liked what we were doing. We would we had a sort of artistic scene, but it wasn't, it had no identity as such, really. It was just a bunch of people who also grew up playing old video games, right? Um, but then bot with Boston 8 bit, that felt more like a musical scene. Um, the interesting thing is that then when you when the scene forms is that then immediately everyone tends to get in this mindset of thinking like they want to change the boundaries. They want to break the boundaries of the scene, right? I think one person that did this really great was, you know, was Kevy with, um, you know, Wiz Wars with, with uh, Los Angeles 8-Bit. When I moved out to LA and and, um, and Kevy really in, invited me into that scene and I played drums with them, um, that was, you know, that was another moment where I was like, okay, this is a person who really sees this as something that they want to expand the boundaries of, you know, so I was able to kind of bring my drumming into a very different context there. But I think the the mindset, uh, it was more of a shared mindset that we had about the potential of of chip tune, Yeah, you know? I had totally forgotten that you played drums
0: with with uh, with Kevi and and that crew. Yeah, that that's awesome. I, I for some reason I forgot about that. Was that in like the the Kevi the the band the Kevin Arantina's band or, or was that? like... I guess a, it must a- have
1: been. Yeah, be- we we performed um what what it was uh, Los Angeles Eight Bit in like twenty twelve. Uh, I think it was 2012, the, the Los Angeles 8-bit show, I believe, and then I performed a solo set like at one of those events as well. But yeah, it was it was all around that time, 2012, 2013, I think. Um, do you? I mean, do you still play out these days,
0: or anymore? or are you just? Uh, are you still like performing, and, and do you still perform chip tune, or like what do you what do you do these days in terms of like music performance?
1: Yeah, I, so I kind of got more into like, especially uh, moving in like fully into the world of academia as a as a professor. It's like a lot of my artistic work now is collaborations with other academic departments. I do a lot of collaborations with theater, um, <clears throat> as well as work with the own group that I direct at Albright, which is the UA rap collective. So I'll play drum live shows with with the rappers in that group. We'll collaborate on um, shows for that. Sometimes I make beats for them, but you know they're all like at this point way younger than me and my style of production is just not there (laughs) Uh, I think I showed him like you know we I took him to a liquid uh, I I took him to to Jizza down the street he was playing a show and he was performing liquid swords in its entirety and I was so excited I brought them on a field trip and they were all like this is just you know this is old school stuff and I'm like what do you mean old school and I was like well I guess you know Jizza is 60 years old or something like that But anyway, yeah, so my, my my kind of um, my artistic output has very much become more less stage focused in, in many ways and more like doing sound design for theater productions, um, which are still very like hip hop and EDM electronic music kind of inspired, um, as well as other collaborations with students, which is actually a great place to be in because, you know, it, it kind of keeps you on the cutting edge because they all, you know, they, they all know what's hip.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, you had mentioned that you, you were, you know, you and, and ArcBit had been, you know, big gamers back in the day. Are, are you still like kind of, uh, like, are you still like immersed in like video game culture and things like that? I I know you teach in the, the game design department (laughs) of, of Albright. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that it's really, um, it's kind of come full circle in that way. In that you know, I teach in a music industry and music technology program as well, as, and I'm cross-listed in the game design program um, at Albright. And that kind of keeps me like my research for my research. I kind of have to stay up to date with what's going on. And so yeah, I still I still play. I mean, I got ver- I got um, more into like tabletop gaming um, just because like thinking about game design from the perspective of like what are the core principles that make it good you know because we're such in this culture of like the the next triple a blockbuster call of duty whatever and it's like it's all just digital features right and we're in this world of feature creep in games and in music technology where people just want to put out the next like flashy thing but then you think like well what are the things that like actually last what are the things that makes a good game without the digital you know bells and whistles and i think tabletop gaming is a great place to look at at that so i you know things like magic the gathering dungeons and dragons things like that you really learn or i think I, I like to teach the students that you can learn more from those types of experiences than the next whatever like the next big
0: well yeah movie. i mean you were talking about like mediating you know mediating people's experiences through through various media and, and the interfaces that they use and you know one of the One of the refreshing things about, like, doing design uh, on, on, like, a board game or a tabletop game, just doing paper design, right, is, like, you don't have to mediate your design through all of these, like, digital levers and buttons and, and, you know, knobs that you have to, like, contort into the perfect thing so that you can actually start making the game that you want to make. And, you know, that that it feels like even for indie developers, right, like Unity was supposed to be this, like, tool that allowed everyone to develop games and release them on big platforms, and now Unity has become, for the layperson, like, functionally just as complex as, like, the AAA standard stuff, right? So, you know, it, it's interesting to kind of, like, bring it bring it back to like the the like the roots right (laughs) the the original stuff and
1: kind of distill it down into like an essence there you know a lot of people um there's even this world of like electronic musicians who get engaged in like live set design right you know people who help artists on their live sets because technologies of various sorts are so present on stage for regardless of what genre you're in right like drummers in country music using Ableton Live to trigger loops, whatever. Um, and I think that, that that's where like, a lot of this kind of comes back to, I mean, chiptune in some ways, but it's like, it's about design. It's about, uh, and the best design tells a story. Um, and I think for a lot of electronic musicians, there was sometimes this sense of like, well, you're using the Game Boy or you're using the tool, but what are you, But why are you using that? You know, um, are, you, are you trying to tell some sort of story um, or is it just you're just using it because that's the tool people use to do this type of thing? yeah right?
0: yeah and and it definitely seems like especially within the chiptune scene that like once it became established as like a scene, right a, a like a thing that people can like participate in and leave, um, it felt like that story of like, why are you using that technology, right? Like why are you using a game boy or why are you using you know whatever old console became. I use it because that's what everyone else does in the scene, right? And, and you know, your your unique marker at, as your identity was that you participated in the chiptune scene, but when you got into the scene, that kind of, like, uniqueness of... Like, the uniqueness was only at the level of I participate in the scene or I don't participate in the scene, as opposed to, like, what is my workflow within it, right? Um, whereas when it started out, that was, like... Even within everyone making Game Boy music, there were like all of these different approaches to it and, and you know, different takes and, and even like stylistic uh, distinctions between people.
1: Yeah, and, and I think, you know, just um, one thing that always stood out within the chiptune scene is just the extent to which a lot of the people who are making the music were also engineers of some sort, you know, like people that knew how to circuit bend, of course, right? people that knew how to circuit bend, people that knew how to program original software. Um, and that to me was like such a huge, something that interests me so much. And it was that like a lot of the things that made people stand out as artists was actually the fact that they built this entirely new platform to make music. Like, Oh, you built Nano loop. That's amazing. Right. Or you built little sound DJ or you built midiness or and so that was a, a big novel part of it early on, but then, of course, when it got to the point where it was like well what else are we what else can we do like what other platforms can we hack or reformat right and um uh that's what, yeah, that's maybe where you're talking about where it started to people started to think well now what what more can I do
0: um do you, do you find that your your work um in in games and and music kind of like intersect more or less than they did like back in the back in the Chiptune golden days
1: yeah, I mean, I think they totally do more and more. I think I always tell students this, but it's kind of like the the space we're in within the music industry, right? It was like in a post Napster world, peer to like post peer to peer file sharing. What that did ultimately, how it affected the music business was that it it made the mu- it made the music business have to rely on the tech business, right? Yeah, all of a sudden there was not like this sort of stash of money within the music business where people were just making a lot of money and they could kind of, they could make it like art for art's sake in a way, right? Like in the 80s, you could just go to the studio and spend days in the studio because the record labels had the money. Post Napster, it's like, now we have to be at the whim of the tech industry. And so what that taught me then is that like we really I have to keep an eye on the tech industry because that's where the changes that are happening there are going to filter into music very quickly soon after right. And so I always say, okay, look at spatial audio. It happened in games, and then now it's in music, right? All major technologies like games are like the apex of where new technologies emerge and where they're negotiated, and then they filter into other arts. And I think that's a really interesting thing. Is I don't think you can really understand contemporary music fully without understanding games yeah
0: yeah i mean and and especially now these days where, where you like have the most literal um the most literal intersection of them uh that you can have where it's like you're literally literally throwing concerts in like game spaces and things like that with like fortnite and, and roblox and stuff like that so yeah i mean i i, I think it's interesting to kind of like hear you say that they're even more enmeshed than you know they're they're more enmeshed than they've ever been but one of the the sticking points of like the chiptune scene was like whether this had anything to do with video games or not despite the fact that everyone is using old game technology you know (laughs) or yeah it's it's just this battle that that everyone had in in terms of just like what what the definition of chiptune was and how much uh how much that relied on or leaned on this video game distinction right um and and yeah that that was something that i was always struggling with um and did did you kind of see that manifest like in in your area of the woods and in like as you were performing and things like that
1: yeah you know i think there was a a big part of our uh what we thought we were doing at the time i think with the attic bits you know because again because maybe we didn't there wasn't a discourse that we could engage with right away with other people. But I think we saw it as like, you know um, we didn't want it to be seen as like doing this nostalgic thing. Right. We wanted to show that this is almost like a Pierre Schafer and like uh, this acousmatic idea that we could somehow detach the sounds from their origins. Right. And that like we could make music that people wouldn't think about eighties video game music. Right. Or that the whole eight bit time period. Right. I don't think it's possible. I really don't know that it's um, that it's possible. Like, I, I think everyone was talking about that, like getting beyond the nostalgia factor. But I think there's a reason why, you know, now you're asking this question of what happened to it is that everyone of our age has kind of moved on in some ways. And that probably partly to do with the fact that younger generations didn't grow up with that stuff. Um, the younger college age students are after that are making video game related music probably aren't, like, using Game Boys and Nintendos. I mean, I could be totally wrong about that, but it's, like, when I talk to my students, it's, like, their first console was, like, maybe the Wii. Yeah. Um, you <laughs> know, or Wii Which Gear. is, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's, you know, and, and
0: you know, I, I feel like it's a pretty natural segue into it, but I, I want to make this point about, like, it feels like there's this, like, hauntological aspect of of um, of chiptune and, 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 like, what it represents, this kind of, like... What once was, but now doesn't exist, kind of like, um, but but like it stays in the present somehow, and, and in a very like you know ghostly way. Um, that was always present with with chip right? That was always present with like Game Boy music and 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 you know Nintendo music and stuff like that. Um, and even as bands who started off in the scene. You know, m- moved away from m- moved away from the 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 Game Boy as like their primary like in, uh, instrument that that like distinguished them stylistically from other bands. It still felt like there was this like hauntological attachment to the idea of what those old game systems were, right? And so, you know, part of me wonders if like. You know the, what? What happened to Chiptune is that Chiptune Chiptune hasn't gone away. It just like we just moved those boundaries from like the Game Boy and Nintendo to like the PlayStation One and like you know the birth of like the CD-ROM and and like CD media being something that people can like put a bunch of music on. And so, uh, you know that that's that's where the hauntological space is now, as opposed to like the the early '80s retro nostalgia.
1: Yeah, the, no, totally. That's a really great way to think of it. This is something that a lot like pop music scholars think about this all the time. Is like, um, how do we understand nostalgia and music? Often, we, what we have like culturally, there's some arguments. Like, you know, um, si- Simon Reynolds' book *Retromania*. He talks about these ideas. Um, there's this general idea that, like, things always return to where they were, like, 20 or 30 years ago, right? Um, and this this would explain, like, why in the 80s there was this sort of, like, 50s happy days moment, right, in the 80s. Or why in the early, late 90s, early 2000s there was a return to the 80s, right? Or even, I don't know, the 80s is always kind of there, it seems like. But that would kind of explain chiptune, too, is, is that, you know, there was we were witnessing in that 2010, early 2000s through 2010s kind of era, um, that was sort of that return of the ni- early 1980s kind of sound. Um, and that that was its moment, right? And I like what you said that it doesn't have to be, like chiptune doesn't have to be that, like it's going to come back to that, but that, that maybe there's like this this broader culture of circuit bending or video game music, whatever you want to call it, that that is now returning to other consoles, right? And we could even think of something like Vaporwave kind of did that, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. to the CD-ROM or something. right? Yeah, because, you know, you, if you think about the 80s, like,
0: you know, what, what people conceive of as, like, the 80s aesthetic palette, right? You do have, like, retro video games and, and things like that, but you also have, um, you know, like, these really, like, the the introduction of these, like, really synthesizer heavy soundtracks and and that being like the primary way that like we score films and things like that. Right. Like a lot of like eighties horror and, you know, I just spoke to Glomag who, who worked on a lot of like the low budget eighties horror films and he scored a bunch of them, you know, that was a a distinct change from what, what they were doing before, which is like kind of live instrumentation and studio stuff. Um, And so, you know, chiptune may have moved into something else and then i I also feel like people's conception of what the 80s sounded like moved into like synth wave right especially with like the the you know the, the introduction of like stranger things and like the the soundtrack there and and all of that stuff um it just kind of like our our conception of like that retro um that retro aesthetic became like uh Stranger Things theme song instead of yeah, instead right. of chip tune so um, yeah,
1: yeah it's even you know i remember uh i forget who said this but i think it was someone at a hip hop show or at a um either that or like an industrial show where they was talking about chip tune right quote unquote chip tune and they were like well what does it matter that it's made with Game Boys? It's just it's just sine waves or whatever. It's just square waves. It's just and that and ultimately that's kind of true, right? Is that ultimately that there's not much difference in terms of the the, the creative practice um, to something like modular synthesis? You're ultimately dealing with a limited palette of of sound waves that are that you're manipulating in various ways and sequencing in various ways. Um, and so you could, yeah, I think probably. 100 200 years from now or something people are going to look back on this moment like the past 50 years and be like oh it was all synthesis. Yeah, you know? yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and you know like
1: that, that that was always the
0: like that was my my struggle with like trying to define what chip was, right? Because it didn't really like you know a lot of people tried to define it as a purely methodological practice, right? It was it was we were using these old game systems, but that that never was like fully satisfying to me as like what this what what as as a definition for what chiptune is because i feel like that connection to like old video games or like video games of the past like is just so palpable that you like can't just excise it away as we as we had said earlier and then like it can't just be like a retro aesthetic either right because retro-aesthetic changes as, as you know, as people age, and also, like, retro-aesthetic changes is people just have different influences, right? Like, it's, you know, the, uh, you know, just to bring up Stranger Things again, it's, like, that's, like, I'm influenced by, like, uh, John Carpenter and, and like, those, those things, right? And, like, the kind of, like, Stephen King, like, movies of the 80s and stuff like that, as opposed to video games. So... When, like, I'm trying to conceptualize this, like, definition of chiptune in my head, I feel like it has to be, like, old video games somehow, right? That always has to be there, and then it is just, like, a musical manifestation of, like, what playing those old video games was like, or something like that, right? There's no, like, academic or, like, theoretical basis behind this. It's just, like, I'm just, like, it's just a result of me, like, cutting away all of these other,
1: like... Uh, observations and, and like ways to define it and but yeah. you, you know in a way it is a very academic approach that you're taking because this is it's no coincidence that you know um, it, it wasn't until the past few years that academics have really started to study like what is chiptune right um, within this whole field right of ludo musicology um, and a lot of the people writing about it you know weren't part of whatever scene we're talking about right um, but they're looking back on it, and look—they're—they're they're just now discovering things like reformat the planet, right? And they're—and they're—and they're looking back on it in, the, in this objective kind of like distant lens, and they're trying to define it. But often, like you said, they're—they're they're trying to define it in the same way, which is methodologically, and so they'll write these articles about well, one of the defining features of Chiptune is trackers. Yeah, but tracker like trackers software. have existed forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you know, or, or so there's all these different. Um, I think to me, like maybe hurdles that people are encountering now that we're a decade or so out of the specific kind of scene that you're talking about. But in a way, like there's, there's a benefit to that objectivity, but there's also sort of the importance of how people were documenting the scene at the time was really invaluable. And that's what reform. at the planet was this documentary that was like, it was a, it was a, a history of the present of that scene that was sort of invaluable for so many people because on one hand it helped journalists and other people kind of center the community, but it also kind of got like an entire world into it, you know? Um, And so that, that type of um, real-time documentation, real-time kind of uh, um, building of the scene, right? It was real. That's how the scene was built is through a lot of this. It wasn't just the music, but it was the documentation around it. We talked about this before the, the photographers, the journalists, the filmmakers, the video game designers even that were kind of like doing all this stuff so it, that that could get at maybe another reason when you ask like what happened to it is that that infrastructure maybe yeah um moved past it or something
0: yeah well i mean let's just get into it well like what do you what do you think <laughs> happened to chiptune
1: after after all these years so i mean that's to me that i i kind of just hinted at it is that that specific um uh, age group or maybe you you've talked about this before about like the um that there's sort of different waves of chiptune right there was a sort of generation I think I'm kind of maybe in a similar age group as you as to as to where this was coming from but then there was a, a group like a generation above us that had like worked in some semblance of the game industry yeah. often. I'm I'm just gonna stop you
0: I, I just want to this this conception of like the waves of chiptune was uh, something that Emmy mean Spicer <laughs> uh, kind of like thinks of it, so I'm just borrowing from her oh, I, I yeah, didn't, okay. yeah
1: I didn't make that up yeah or I didn't I didn't come up with that myself, so yeah, that's a great too. way to to kind of think about it. but I think it, no matter how you were to split up these waves or how you were to kind of like look at it, this also gets back to the nostalgia thing is I think ultimately what happened is that there were the, an age group that kind of grew up with this stuff um, just aged out of it in a way, right. Um, and I think the infrastructure that made it, that it, that being like the people that were booking shows, the people that were writing articles even, like uh, writing uh, journalistic type articles, um, the people that worked for the, pub- the periodicals, um, the photographers, I think they just kind of, everyone just kind of like at the same moment moved past it. Um, I think it's much more complicated than that, but but I think if you were to break it down, As a whole, that's kind of what defines musical scenes. All musical scenes have that infrastructure. Punk had it, you know, where it's not just the musicians, but it's the people that are lifting them up or people that are telling their stories. Um, And I just think that people stop telling those stories about chiptune. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, though, because, you know, it's...
0: Like i am I'm right now reading Meet Me in the Bathroom, right? And it feels like a very like similar even down to like the place and uh the the place that it's taking place, right? The early aughts New York City scene. Um where you've got like all of these bands that are kind of in this like post dot com like just about to be post dot com boom New York. Uh that, you know, New New York was like once this like Mecca of creativity and and artistry, and now it's just kind of become this soulless like thing, you know. Post um post cleaning up, uh, and so you know out of that a bunch of bands come, and it feels like there's a very similar energy, there's a very similar um kind of like infrastructure to the scene, um, but those bands, right? The you know like we're, the bands that we're talking about here are like Interpol, The Strokes, LCD Sound System, and yeah, yeah, yeahs, right? So, you know, I, I Maybe this is an unfair comparison, but it feels like, you know, they had a similar, um, they had a similar infrastructure and, you know, a lot of the bands in the scene didn't go anywhere. Right. But some of them were able to kind of like rock it off to like international stardom and and things like, you know, LCD sound systems on their like 16th reunion tour or something like that. So it's like, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to like what the, what the differences between between, you know, that that kind of, like, the the early aughts and, like, where we were with with chiptune and, and stuff like that. And, you know, the obvious one is just, like, we were using <laughs> old video game systems and they were playing drums and guitars. Um, but I'm, like, I wonder if you think that there was anything more than just that or if it literally was, yeah, just
1: that. Yeah, no, I, I'm trying to think of other, <clears throat> you know, how other scenes kind of emerge and fade away um, if they do, right, and... Um, I I was also thinking about the low-end theory scene in L.A., which is something that I had studied while I was doing my dissertation work. Um, And I think about, okay, there's usually some some sort of spark or cultural value that brings people together, right? And for that scene, for example, it was sort of like this idea of the underground, right? So there's perennial idea in hip-hop of the underground versus mainstream. So this was a specific moment in the 2000s where... Um, as FL Studio, as peer-to-peer file sharing emerged, people perceived an increasing homogenization of hip-hop music. And so then you had producers like Jay Dilla doing this sort of, at the time, what felt like pretty out-there ways of sampling. So it was like this technical... He set up this technical and and creative workflow that people really enjoyed, and he was also a sort of a face for the scene. And that's how the low-end theory scene kind of emerged... But then what happened is is that as it became increasingly popular and more and more people became part of the scene, the homogenization then just filtered right into that scene. So everything that they initially kind of were doing to kind of distinguish themselves, things like sidechain compression, things like sort of flipping samples in a unique ways, like this whole lo-fi aesthetic, became like lo-fi beats to study to, you know, and it just became like the most generic sound and then that's really where the the scene kind of faded out at exactly that moment and i wonder if the same could be said for chiptune is that people were developing such niche soundscapes regardless of anything else too is that you could say that maybe the truth is maybe people just got sick of the 8-bit sound yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. That, that could be a very likely thing and that i think the difference being with like when you're talking about lcd sound system or something he's still ultimately using like what we could call as like not traditional but like you know he's using synthesizers and guitars and in and, and performing in a sort of kind of dance music kind of rock way and so it translates to a lot of different s- scenes or communities right and i don't think chiptune did that
0: yeah yeah i mean and and I, I also think that there's like something to be said about like again the chiptune scenes associate uh closeness to the video game industry and it felt like a lot of like the the connections that you could draw with things that weren't specifically the chiptune scene. Um, you know, yeah, again, with, like, LCD sound system, you have this, like, rich history of dance music, you have a history of, like, punk and, and like, rock music, kind of, like, we- woven together to create this interesting thing, and then with this, like, healthy, you know, healthy helping of, like, New Yorkness put on top of it. To, so there's all of these different ways that people could like enter into whatever world that LCD sound system or even like Yeah, yeah Yeah's or whatever um, could, you can enter into whatever space they're occupying. And with Chiptune, it feels like its closeness to the game industry was like this kind of like vacuum, right? Where it felt like the only, as as it grew, it felt like the only real way to enter into whatever space chiptune was occupying was to be a fan of video games and like be into not just a fan of video games and like play them but like game culture right and like you know getting really into like retro gaming and all that stuff And, and and that was the only way that you could really like understand chiptune as anything more than just like it sounds like the old video game systems right but but because that like entryway is so there's already so much, like, baggage and already so much scaffolding there, you know, it, it, it doesn't... It, it's not as universal, right? It, and, and even though games are everywhere these days and, like, everyone, you know, it, it, it dictates a large part of the culture, back then it was, you know, like, the rise of the indie game scene. That was a very specific scaffolding that you wanted to, like, you know, put your put your hat on or whatever. And, you know, this this idea of, like, A games and things like that. So, like whatever excess energy that people had or like whatever excess connection that people could have was just like hoovered up by like video games as opposed to like with the, you know, other different scenes and, and things like that.
1: Yeah. I think ultimately you're talking about like subculture, right? That's what most people want. No matter what scene they're from, people are looking for a way to, to distinguish themselves or, you know, Pierre Bourdieu's like distinction. This is about cultural distinction. And it's like when people say, I listen to everything except for country and rap, they're saying, I, I want to be part of these people and not, I don't want to be affiliated with white working class people or black people, right? That's what they really mean, you know? So so people use music and mu- use culture as a form of distinction. And what what needs to happen for these things to last or for these certain styles to last is that they just need to continue to operate in that way. I think when you think about rock music, right, it's like, for, for white suburban boys, often right, that sound of the electric guitar is just this lasting sound of alterity, of like I'm of rebellion of whatever, right? And that sound has not gone away. It, it's it stood as a marker of distinction for that that demographic for a long time. Um, and it has a whole industry behind it, right? You mentioned for chiptune, the connection to the indie gaming scene, for example, right? There, for a long time, for a few years, there was a real connection there with indie game, the movie that came out, right? And so you had this real industry infrastructure behind chiptune that could have lasted, but then what happened is that the reason p- the gaming world moved to indie games was not because of chiptune. And so the sound, it didn't become the soundtrack, of the alterity that people were looking for in in the games industry, right? I think nowadays indie games they do that in a different way, but 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 the 8-bit sound is not the defining feature that does that. So, yeah. I mean, if I'm it.
0: being flippant, it seems like synthwave is now that sound <laughs> for, for yeah, a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah exactly. So, yeah. I'm curious as what you see as like the future of of chiptune or whatever chiptune like might be. Um, you know, like it, as as we kind of like move past this like you know early tens to like late late tens like era and and like kind of like where it could go and 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 things like that
1: yeah it's it's really um it's I actually did think about this even that very specific question, but it's one of these scenes that's like so hard to really imagine. I can kind of think about that for so many other genres I can kind of like imagine a trajectory of where it went. But when you're talking about ChipTune, you're talking about a, a a musical scene that was defined by so many different things, from the technical infrastructure to the specific, little, like, you know, the sound itself, right? Um, and so, so I can start to imagine, like, I think one thing that 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 brings people into games and music in the first place, right? Like, we could imagine like Guitar Hero, like rhythm games or music games is one common way that people get into music through gaming, right? so that might be a space where i could maybe see it happening a little more um what what i get most excited about i think are when when music tech companies make video games or make apps of various sorts like you know core gadget just came out on vr right and i think that's a really interesting space to cuz it cuz it gets back to the my whole the the thing that excited me about chiptune in the first place was could the creation of new platforms for making music right um, new technological platforms that offered new affordances for how we engage with electronic sound and i think that still can happen through a lot of these types of things so yeah like Core gadget on vr what's what will that do as far as like will it actually establish musical communities i don't know right i was also really excited about tribe xr this vr app for djing because you could actually have like people available but so often these things just fade so quickly yeah know? i mean um, and, and that's a hard thing yeah
0: it it does feel like the, the success of a lot of this stuff is basically dependent on like which like venture capital firm is like willing to put money into it and like i so so do you see any way for us to kind of like get back to that like tinkering vibe the 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 like the, the fiercely independent like I'm not doing this for any profit margin, I'm doing this because this is like a very interesting project um and and for that to kind of like take like traction in this this like intersection between music and games,
1: yeah, I mean part of the difficulty that I just talked about um if you're talking about a scene that's built on technological infrastructure and that we're in this tech industry that's built on planned obsolescence, right? Like we're in the iPhone generation of like every two years you replace your phone. Like this, the technology is meant to die and it happens so quickly that like the, the possibility of coalescing a scene around any given technology or something seems so difficult. Um, but I, I, I feel like uh, the idea of like tinkering and circuit bending and hardware hacking in the, the digital age that we're a part of now just seems like so much... More difficult, and I, I don't want to end, you know, the conversation on this idea that it's. I don't see it, but um, but I think in some ways, um, it's hard because I work with students all day, and I. But I don't. I know. I don't see this interest among any of them. You know, <laughs> and I work with students in game design and music, and I. And it's just their interests are just so beyond. Or, or so much different than that, right? It doesn't mean that they're better or worse. It just means, like, I don't see... I, I look to the younger generation as an educator at, to see, like, what it, what the future is going to be in, in whatever genre or community of music. And I just don't see that tinkering, that engineering interest yeah. happening and so And, you much.
0: know, that maybe maybe it isn't so much, like... Maybe it isn't so much, like, a, a desire to, like, take apart the the material tools or like the material reality that that people exist in because you know and and something that's coming to me and and this might seem off topic but I I think it connects where like maybe the future of this lies in like what happens with like the writer's strike and the uh, and the uh, sag after strike right where it doesn't become so much about like the tools themselves so much as it is like the way that we mediate ourselves through them, right? And and who controls that relationship? Who has the power? You know, and 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 what we are allowed to do, and and what we you know feel like we're comfortable with, and are we being exploited? So you know that that I don't know. It, it, like vibes wise, it makes sense to me that like instead yeah. of the tools themselves, it becomes like a question of labor and and the,
1: yeah. You know, the, I things. mean, that's a much more, uh, a very productive way to think about. It. I think I think about like. Perhaps a a structural ideology that gave rise to chiptune was this sort of early 2000s long-tail capitalism thing, right? Like the idea that Napster, peer-to-peer, it's all going to be so great because ultimately what that's going to do is truly democratize access to music because now we're in a space where no Napster and peer-to-peer file sharing will prevent the 1% and it's going to allow all the other people who make music in their garage or whatever to kind of get recognized, right? That's the the idea that people had about like even streaming platforms. They thought, wow, this is going to be a great way to equalize access. And of course, it, it ended up being exactly not the opposite of that. It, it just reinforced the one percent, right, through algorithms. So, so I think I agree with what you're saying. We have to we have to whatever the next sort of like form of uh, digital utopia (laughs) is going to be, right? It was sort of this like idea of long tail capitalism in the early 2000s, but we need to kind of, we need to reach a new um, value system that, that, that is more optimistic and hopeful for, for how we can restructure the technological infrastructure, not just the tools and technologies, but like the, the labor, as you say. So, okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh we we pulled it out we we managed to end on a, on a on an optimistic note which is which is yeah. <laughs> always a, a triumph when it comes to this this podcast so um yeah i you know i wanted to thank you again for for speaking with me this has been super, super cool. Um, I, you know, I super appreciate your your perspective on this, uh, especially, you know, kind of coming from academia and your, your broad knowledge of of all of these different um, ideas and topics and and things like that. Um, So yeah, thanks so much for, for talking with me. Yeah, you do. Thanks so much. I had such a great conversation with Mike, touching on many different aspects around music technology and performance, and I truly value his perspective on Chiptune and music more broadly. What Happens to Chiptune is made by me, Spacetown. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can do so by leaving a 5-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as this helps more people find the podcast, or you can just share it with those who would find it interesting. Thanks for listening.